Well, welcome to week one of Trading Up. Hopefully you all received a red paper clip when you walked in. Uh, I loved looking at the peculiar faces like, what is this, right? I think that's kind of how we are as Americans. Why are you giving me free things? But the red paper clip is going to serve as an illustration for the four weeks that we talk about uh, trading up. And trading up came from, uh, I kind of made a Canadian joke the last hour. I, I realize I'm not in the Midwest, so I'm going to hold back from that. But it came back from a, it came out of a 26-year-old uh, Canadian's experience. His name is Kyle McDonald. And he had a red paper clip and a problem. Uh, Kyle uh, wanted to live in his own home. He was 26, probably about time. Mom and dad kicked you out or changed the locks. But Kyle had a dream. But Kyle didn't have a job, but he had a red paper clip and a problem to solve. And this happened around 2006 where the Internet and Facebook, or back then the Facebook, remember those days, was kind of coming out. Social media was becoming a thing. So he put his red paper clip online and basically said, I want to trade up from a red paper clip to a home. It took Kyle a little less than a year and 14 trades to go from a red paper clip to owning a home. Now that is creativity, right? Maybe, I don't know, unless if you're his parents. Some of the things that he traded up for were pretty marvelous and kind of ridiculous, right? He traded up for, uh, he traded up a paper clip for a pen that looked like a fish. Then he was able to trade up a pen that looked like a, a doorknob, then for a camp stove, then a 100-watt generator, and then for an instant party kit. And I'll let your mind wonder what kind of party that is. Then he traded it up for a snowmobile. Then he took the snowmobile. This is kind of cool. He traded it up for two things, an afternoon with Alice Cooper and a role in a movie. This is uh, Kyle <laughs> with Alice Cooper uh, trading up for a red paper clip. He then took that role in a film and traded that up for his very first home. So this is Kyle and his family and his girlfriend enjoying their home. So the question for the series is, this Christmas, what are you willing to trade up for? If you had a red paper clip and you could trade up for anything, what would that be? All right? No, ladies, you cannot trade in and trade up for a better husband. All right? <laughs> some, of you is, some of you have asked me if you could do that. No, you can't. All right, I won't say names, but I just looked at the person who said it, okay? Uh, may, maybe, maybe it's uh, a week away in Europe. Maybe it's your kids magically saying, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, to the first time you ask them to do that. Chances are it's probably not for a home. But this Christmas, we're going to talk about a few trades that we can make that are critical to our spiritual development. And so today we're going to talk about trading despair for hope. And next week, we're going to talk about trading in stress for peace. And week three, sorrow for joy. And then during our Christmas gatherings, on Christmas EVs, we're going to talk about trading in our indifference for the love of God. So I want to encourage you to be here throughout the month of December as we talk about what does it look like to trade up this Christmas. You may or may not have noticed this. But our creative team came up with two really fun ideas. We have a Christmas tree ladder out in our lobby with about 100 of these red boxes. These red boxes are Yankee Swap boxes. We thought it'd be a fun way to invite people to our Christmas services on December 23rd. If you would, after service, grab a box, and inside is everything you need for a Yankee Swap party. Now, where I'm from, 
we call it a, a white elephant party. But basically, it's the same idea. You have a party, you tell what the dollar amount is, you buy something within that dollar amount, you put it in the pile, draw numbers, and pick a gift. And what really mirrors this series is if you don't like what you want or what you get in the Yankee Swap, you can steal, right? It's okay to steal, I guess, in, th in this sense, and you can trade up for something better. Now, in the bottom of this box are about 12 to 15 Christmas invitations for you to give out to friends and family after you throw your party. So we thought it'd be a fun way to celebrate Christmas, our first Christmas at RCC, just to simply grab a box on your way out, throw a Yankee Swap party, and at the end, invite them to our December 23rd Christmas services. Today, we're going to talk about this idea of trading despair uh, for hope. All of us, if we don't know the word or the acronym, are pretty familiar with SAD, which stands for Seasonal Affective Disorder. I don't know about you guys, but I'm pretty bummed that the sun goes down at 4.30, right? Amen? It's colder than it used to be when I got here. Uh, I, I'm not, um, this probably isn't a surprise, I haven't been to the gym in two months uh, because it's so cold and my bed is so warm and the people that I love are close to me, right? It doesn't matter if I work out, you know, we're not going anywhere. How lazy is that, right? It's so easy to have the holiday blues, isn't it? Uh, but honestly, if we had an honest conversation, our culture is lacking a lot of hope. Uh, the use of antidepressants is, is, is on the right, friends, it is through the roof. Uh, I've, I've read a lot of statistics, and they are that, they're statistics, so I could be off, but statistically speaking, one out of every 10 Americans is on antidepressant. Now listen, let me squash this, because I know I'm new. Uh, using medication for mental health can be a gift, all right? I'm not saying that uh, there's something wrong with you, or you're a terrible, terrible Christian. Not at all. I have many friends that use medication to help them, and it is a gift. But no less, uh, there are a lot of people that struggle in their life, especially through the holiday season. Women are two and a half times more likely uh, to be to using antidepressants. And antidepressants, do, they don't care if you're a guy, if you're a girl, if you're rich, if you're poor, if you're from the right neighborhood, or if you're from the ghetto part of a downtown across America. You know, it's statistically, it was alarming when I came across this, that in uh, the Afghanistan war in 2012, I believe, that more soldiers took their own life than died in combat. There's a real epidemic, friends, in our culture. We, we allegedly are more connected. The most awkward person in the world created Facebook, right? We're more connected through social media, but yet we feel so isolated and feel so alone. And sometimes the holiday season can amplify that, can it? Uh, in his book, All Things New, John Eldridge writes this. He says, we appear to be suffering a great crisis of hope. It's taking place in our politics, in our eco economy. It's taking place quietly in the hearts and minds of millions of people right now in this moment. And so my question to you is, before we jump into our text this morning is this. Where are you finding hope these days? Not, not something in a feel-good sermon that a preacher might talk about or, or a Hallmark card that makes you feel loved and it's warm and fuzzy but kind of cheesy. I mean, real hope. Something that you can, you can get your hands around. Something that you can hold on to. A hope that's, that's guaranteed throughout the future of your life like so many of us are banking on with our family being there with our retirement being there, 
that kind of hope that is real and solid, not something that is just something that we feel to feel good about ourselves, but a real living hope. There's a woman in John chapter 4 that Jesus has a conversation with. We, we don't know her name. Uh, she's kind of uh, commonly labeled the woman at the well. And this is a woman uh, that is feeling a despair. And we'll find out why in just a moment. But she has this beautiful conversation with Jesus and realizes three important things when she can actually trade up despair for hope. The first one is she realizes that I can trade up even when I can't trade in. It's one thing to have something of equal or greater value to trade up for. But what do you do when you feel like you're listening to a sermon, like you are now, if it's what you're doing, and you feel like you have nothing to give? How can, how can you trade up for, for uh, joy and hope and peace when you yourself feel like you have nothing to trade in to receive that hope? This is exactly what this woman felt. And in John chapter 4, John begins the story by saying, Now he, Jesus, had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of the ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Re- reference to uh, the Old Testament in the book of Genesis. And Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. Now that seems frivolous, but it'll matter in just a second. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said, Will you give me a drink? In verse 8, John wants us to know that his disciples had gone into town to buy food, probably Chick-fil-A, because it's the best thing ever. In verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew. Now she's schooling Jesus, which elevates probably her level of, un- uh, of being uncomfortable. Right? She says, You are a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans, right? Jesus, don't you know the social rules? You can't hang out with somebody like me. This is what labels do, right? Labels are helpful for us, right? My sock drawer, my socks go in the sock drawer. My underwear, my underwear goes in the underwear drawer. My white shirts go in, my undershirts go in that drawer. And it's so easy to label people, right? Oh, you're this person. You go here. Let me shut it and I can move on, right? And this woman (laughs) is like, what are you doing? You're a Jew. You don't talk to us. We don't talk to you. And you're a man. We're in public. What are you doing? And Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God, And who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Jesus, uh, the woman's having this present tense conversation. We're not allowed to talk. And Jesus is having this past tense conversation. Like, I don't care about labels, lady. I offered you living water. If you know who I am and ask for it, I would freely give it to you. But what about all these labels that people have said that I am? He doesn't seem really phased by it, does he? And you see the woman's despair coming to light. In the Bible, despair is described as someone who's low in spirit. You probably would call that depression. Someone who is utterly lost. The belief that there's no way out. Someone that is emotional and moody and angry. And, and sometimes anger isn't so outlandish. Sometimes it's, it, it's, it's, it's um, I think when it's manifested in introverts, it's kind of cranky and, and, and ornery. And this is a woman that we know doesn't have a great support system because John describes it for us without really telling us exactly. So this is my job. Uh, The woman at the well 
went to, to fetch water at noon, right, in the Middle East. It's like hot. Women in the first century would normally go fetch water, usually in the morning or the cool of the evening. And so there's something going on with this woman that she would go at such a peak hot part of the day because you would not go and get water in the middle of the day because by the time you get back, this is a whole other sermon, which we'll get there. In Revelation, Jesus says, like, lukewarm water. It's not, it's not hot or it's not cold. You, got, you can't make up its mind. Just be something, right? You wouldn't go in the middle of the day to get water for you and your family. And yet, here is this woman in the middle of the day fetching water with no friends. And she has no support system. And so she does feel, right, I get your sermon, Ben. I get it. Feel good. You're trying to make people feel happy. But I literally have no support system. I have nothing to give this Jesus that you're talking about. And then it shifts because she realizes I can trade up when I can't even see a better way. Like th that's, what despair, that's what despair does to us, right? It gives us tunnel vision. It weighs us down emotionally thinking that there's not a better way. And, and Jesus, you know, with all the labels that he could throw on her, isn't phased by those and has, continues to have a conversation with her. He says, she says, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. You're crazy. <laughs> when can you get, get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Not only will you not be thirsty, but the water that I'm giving you uh, on the inside of your bones will be this continual reproducing spring of living water. Like, I have this quality of life that I want to give you that you know nothing about, that once you taste what I have for you, you will not want or settle for anything less wild than my love that I have for you. The conversation continues. The woman said, well, give me this water, right? Jesus would be great at an ad agency. I'm sold. Give me this water, right? So that I won't be thirsty and have to keep coming back to draw water. But this isn't a conversation about her drawing water, is it? What she's saying, I think, below, so I don't have to keep coming back to draw water, is I don't have to be reminded that I'm lonely, that I'm isolated, that I don't have friends. In just a moment, we're going to find out here. Jesus says, go call your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, yeah, I know. You've been married a few times, and the guy you're living with isn't your husband. We're not talking about water here. We're talking about identity. What's really filling you up? What's really giving you purpose? What's really giving you meaning uh, in your life. He tells her, go call your husband. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus is making this wild promise that hope can come for her. You know, it, it's probably likely that she thought that Jesus had been traveling a day or two, right, to, to meet with her. But the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus has been traveling from Genesis chapter 3, throughout the whole Old Testament, which he was a part of, because a lot of people don't like the God of the Old Testament, but they love the God of the New Testament. It's the same God. 
Same story. And so Jesus has been walking towards this woman. Jesus has been walking towards you from Genesis chapter 3 when we had the bright idea that we wanted to be our own God and we wanted to go our own way. And he's been walking towards us from the garden. It's between the Tigris and the Euphrates River. You can go there today if, if you want on Christmas break. It's a real thing. Genesis is not a fairy tale story. And he's been walking from the garden to this well to meet this woman. He's been walking from the garden to meet you today, 2018, in Salem, New Hampshire. I don't know what image you have when you think about God, but the image, at least here, that John is painting isn't a God that's, you know, ready to, you know, drop the hammer on somebody, nor is he a kind of God like Pharaoh in Exodus where he's cracking the whip, be better, be better, be more religious, do this, serve, give. He's, He's a God that is actually goes before us. And I love the way John paints how Jesus meets this woman. He goes before the woman, and he's sitting at the well, waiting to receive her. Isn't that the, the story and the question of Christmas? That God asks the question to himself, how can I find a way that if I come for my people at Christmas, that it will be in such a way that they will be able to receive me. And they won't run or hide in fear. They won't try to attack me, but they'll be willing to have a conversation with me. And we know that on Christmas, the answer to that question, the way that we would be able to receive an amazing God, is through the incarnation. You see, in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, the Lord says, My people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me the spring of living water, and have dug their own cistern, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And the same is true for the Samaritan woman. And the same is true for you. And the same is true for the folks that are watching online. And the same is true for the guy on stage talking about this. That we think we know what quality of life is. And we think we're building a well that we can draw from that will, that will fill us up. A man-made, a woman-made uh, spring of living water out from us. right? And that's not Christianity. That's, that's humanism. And Jesus says, be careful. Be careful because what you might find is when you go back to brag about your life and, and say, look how amazing I am. What you don't have is a well. What you actually have is a broken cistern that did not give you what you thought it would give you. And again, Jesus is looking at this woman and saying, I know that you're here alone, because probably rumor has it, if you've been married a few times and you're living with a guy that's not your husband, you probably have a reputation. But I'm still here. I'm still offering you living hope. I'm still offering you living water. Those labels don't faze me. I've come a long way. I've come a long way from the garden, and I'm here. I've been waiting for you. I've been sitting at this well. I've been sitting at RCC. I've been sitting at a Starbucks when you've been having that conversation with that friend that's been wanting to invite you here. Will you receive me? Will you build a legacy in your life, not of broken cisterns, but of wells that draw from the depths of who I've created you to be. And the woman realizes 
that I actually, I can trade up because hope came for me. He closes the conversation by saying this. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain. Now, pause it here. Uh, she's not a Christian, so to speak. This is a pagan land worshiping false gods, okay? This is nothing new even in our culture. There's so many different religions. You can worship so many gods. You can be actualized in any book that you want to at Barnes & Noble. This is nothing new. But they're having a theological conversation about the God that they should worship, right? I can see that you're a prophet, but you Jews claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem, right? That's the, the Mecca of all three major world religions today, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, and we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Meaning, when the story of Scripture was written, it was going to be given to a specific group of people to branch out. But that specific group of people rejected the Messiah. And so the Messiah went to everybody across the world, right? Later on in the text, it says, you Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. A time is coming when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship the Spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. Stop. Stop. She should not know that. She lives in a culture that knows nothing about the God of Israel. I mean, she knows of the God of Israel. But she didn't grow, in a, grow up in a family, if we're putting this in 2018, that celebrated Christmas, the Incarnation. She, she, she came from a hostile people group that hated the Jews. And the Jews, in turn, hated the Samaritans. And yet, it's so easy to glance over. This woman says, now, I know that there's a Messiah coming called the Christ, right? He's coming. And when he comes, he's, he's going to explain everything to us. So just, just calm down, right? Jesus, calm down, Jesus. Walk away. I'm by myself. Don't do anything to me. And then Jesus says, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. I am the hope of the world right in front of you. And in one conversation, this woman at the well is able to trade up despair for hope. Jesus wasn't worried about any label somebody gave her or what she thought of herself. She was interested in her. Religion has a, lot, has a great way of keeping people from Jesus, doesn't it? And maybe if you're here for the first time, maybe that's, maybe that's why you're here. Maybe this church might be different. Maybe they can just keep the main thing the main thing, which is putting Jesus in front of my face. And in this moment, this woman realized that hope was not an abstract idea. It wasn't something that some preacher had to say every holiday season or some nice emotional romantic phrase on a Hallmark card. Hope had skin. Hope had eyes. Hope had legs and arms and a heart that beat, it, that beat in its chest. And hope was sitting 
right in front of this woman, asking her to trade up. Isn't that the story of Christmas? The invitation that even though we have nothing to give him, he gives us everything. He found a way to come for us this Christmas in a way that we would receive him. We would not freak out to be in his presence and that he would wait for us. We can trade up, friends, this Christmas season, even if we have nothing to give him, even when we think that there's no better way, because Jesus initiated the trade. He came for us. And my friends, in, ju in just a moment, we're going to celebrate communion. It's an opportunity uh, to remember ma many things, really, but specifically today, that hope has come for us this Christmas season. And whether you're convinced that Jesus is who he claimed to be, or you're curious, this hope is for you. And this invitation is for you. A after communion, we're going we're gonna to celebrate a baptism. And again, I just want to reiterate, we've got about five to seven people uh, that are thinking about baptism. And I want to encourage you that if baptism is something that you're thinking about, come talk to me after the service. And, and may you be reminded that this holiday season that Jesus isn't behind you or above you. He's right in front of you, waiting to have a conversation with you. A scripture that I love comes out of Hebrews 6, 18 through 20. It's from the message uh, paraphrase. It's not really a translation. So if you're new to the Bible and it kind of scares you, the message would be a great devotional read for you in the morning or whenever you do your devotions. And the writer of Hebrews reminds us of the kind of hope that Jesus gives us at Christmas time uh, and really throughout the year. The writer says, we who have run for our very lives to God. I, I, I love that phrase because it assumes that like Jesus is our desperation, that, that, that if we don't run to him, we're going to be left to our own demise. I think that that is so true of what it means to be human. We have run for our very lives to God and have every reason to grab the promised hope with both hands. And to never let go. This writer saying that, that hope is real. It's tangible. It's something you can hold on to and, and have a relationship with. He goes on to say, this hope is an unbreakable spiritual lifeline. I love that phrase. Reaching past all appearances, right to the very presence of God, where Jesus, running ahead of us, right? Like he did today, and at the woman at the well, has taken up a permanent post as high priest for us in the order of Melchizedek, meaning he ran ahead of us, died the death that we should have died, and rose again. Things that we could not do on ourselves. Things that Jesus willingly does for us so that we may trade up despair for hope. Let's pray. We'll take communion together, and then we'll celebrate a baptism. Lord, we thank you for an opportunity to lean in to this conversation that this woman had with Jesus. It was probably, probably took her every ounce of will just to stay in that conversation. I mean, think about it. Jesus, you, you approached her in, in a really not busy day. You were by yourself. She was wondering if, if you're just another man that's going to take advantage of her. If you're, if you're just another man that's just going to use her for whatever you need and, and move on. And this woman found out that that hope was real and it was tangible. Hope was a conversation that we could have because hope, hope was a person. Lord, I, I pray for my friends today in this room, 
for those that are watching online, that hope would not be an abstract idea, but as the writer of Hebrews 6 says, it would be our very lifeline. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.